got your Bible, you can grab it, turn to Isaiah 55, Isaiah chapter 55. We'll be there a little bit later on in our message, um, but it'll be good for you to go ahead and get there. I want to talk to you this morning as we kick off a brand new year about God's dreams in your heart. Probably heard a lot of sermons about your dreams. Probably heard people talk about God giving you a dream. Uh, But I want to talk to you about God's dreams for you that he's already placed in your heart. One thing that my family is looking forward to this year is is we're going to take a a road trip out west. Many of you know I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. And so I'm excited to go to my hometown. I haven't been there since 2007, which means my wife has never been there. My kids have never been there. So we're going to take a road trip. We're going to go to Seattle, and they're going to get to finally see this city that we root for all these teams that continually disappoint us uh, and figure out why, why do we do this when everybody around us roots for other teams that just disappoint them, right? So, so we're going to take my kids and, and, and my wife to Seattle, and along the way, we're going to see a lot of cool sights on the way up there and a lot of cool sights on the way back. And one place we're going to go uh, on the way back, if everything goes according to plan, if God willing, is we're going to go to Death Valley. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with Death Valley. You can throw that picture up there. Uh, Death Valley is known for a number of things. Uh, One, it is known as one of the most dry places in the world. Death Valley annually receives in the neighborhood of two inches of rain per year. Um, Extremely, extremely dry. It's known, coincidentally, because it's so dry, it's one of the most barren places on earth. It's literally called Death Valley. Uh, I don't know of a better metaphor for the last couple of years that we've experienced than Death Valley. For many of us, the last two years have felt extremely barren. For many of us, the last two years have felt extremely dry. In our own life, maybe in our finances, maybe in our relationships, certainly in our nation, even globally, we look around, we see a lot of death, both metaphorical death and actual physical death. So Death Valley is known for being dry, it's known for being barren, it's also known for being extremely hot. In fact, the highest recorded temperature in world global history was recorded in Death Valley. Um, It's a very, very hot place, very dry place, very barren place, which is why what happened there in March of 2006 was so unusual. Go ahead and throw that first picture up. What happened in March 2006 is it rained. And when it rained, it rained about 8 to 10 inches, which is more than they receive in a year over the span of a couple of days. And, while, and scientists were amazed as stuff started to grow. This barren place, this desert, this driest, most barren place on earth turned extremely colorful. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, you see wildflowers all throughout Death Valley. In fact, it amazed scientists so much that they traveled there from all over the world in March of 2006 to study what was going on in Death Valley. And this is what they concluded. How did Death Valley erupt in so much color when it rained? What erupted because there was already seeds in the ground. See, there were seeds in the ground that were waiting for the right conditions for them to grow. Seeds that have been there for years, seeds that have been there for decades, potentially even seeds that had been there for centuries, just waiting on the right conditions. And in March of 2006, God sent the rain, and stuff started to grow in a place where it wasn't supposed to grow. 
In fact, this happened again in 2015. So it's now happened twice in the past 15, 16 years to the point that scientists had to come up for a name for this. They call it the super bloom. Every once in a while, it will rain enough in Death Valley and color emerges in the midst of a valley of death and it's called a super bloom. What does this have to do with you and what does this have to do with me? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that God has placed dreams in your heart. God has placed callings in your heart. God has placed a purpose in your heart. God has placed giftings in your heart. God has designed you in a very specific way, and he's placed stuff in you that you don't even know about yet. You don't even realize it's there, and nothing has happened with those seeds. They haven't borne any fruit. They haven't produced any color. They haven't grown anything in your life because God hasn't sent the rain for that seed yet. But I believe that God's going to send the rain. In fact, I believe that God placed that seed there for a very specific time, for a very specific season, for a very specific moment when he would call forth that growth in your life. Now, I'm not here to say, hey, 2022 is going to be your year. I think that's a scary thing to say in the midst of the last couple of years, right? Uh, I don't know that it's going to be your year, but I do believe this. I believe God's got a seed in you that he's going to grow in 2022, may not be the greatest seed that he's placed in you. It may not be the ultimate purpose that he put you here for. Maybe it is. But I believe God's Holy Spirit is going to send rain to grow that seed, perhaps multiple seeds, perhaps multiple callings, multiple dreams, multiple things he wants to do in you that he's already deposited inside of you. In fact, let me show you this. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, or excuse me, let me talk about Abram first, and then we'll get to Ephesians. Genesis chapter 17, there's this guy named Abram who's about to have his name changed to Abraham. You're probably somewhat familiar with him. Well, in Genesis 17, God says some really unusual things to him. In verse 4, he says this. He says, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Everybody say, you will be. He says, you will be the father of many nations. Why was that a weird statement? Because Abram was old and he had no kids. In fact, at this point, Abram was 90 years old when God makes this promise to him. He says, you will be the father of many nations. No children yet. He says, you will be the father of many nations. But he doesn't stop there. He says, no longer will your name be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. Why? For I have made you a father of many nations. Everybody say, I have made. God says, you will be, for I have made. You see the difference here. First of all, he says something future tense. He prophesies, you will be a father of nations. Why will you be a father of nations? Because I have made you a father of many nations. In other words, God made him a father of many nations long before he made him a father of many nations. See what I'm saying? He was already the father of many nations because God had declared it, because God had decided it, because God had put that seed in his heart long before Abram ever discovered it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. It says, for God chose us in him before the creation of the world. Another translation says, before the foundations of the earth. So God created you, God called you, God purposed you before this thing ever began. Think about that. Before God even spoke the universe into existence, he had already planned out your life. He already knew what purpose he had for you. He already knew what dreams he was going to place inside of you. He already knew what call he was going to place on your life before the creation 
of the world. Psalm 193 says this very famously. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. We know that God has knit us together in our mother's womb. But did you know that he created your inmost being? Most of the time when we think of a, a pregnant mother like Callie and God knitting together that baby, we're thinking about, well, is the baby going to have blue eyes or have brown eyes, right? Are they going to have blonde hair or are they going to have dark hair? Are they going to be tall or are they going to be short, right? Like, what physical things are they going to have? And yes, we know that God has created that. But the psalmist is not really talking about his physical body. He says, you created my inmost being. You birthed my heart, you birthed my dreams, you birthed my passions, my callings, you placed that inside of me. Abram, he says, you will be a father of many nations, for I have made you a father of many nations. Here's what you need to know this morning, church. Here's what you need to write down if you're taking notes. You can always become everything that God has already made you to be. That's a little bit wordy, so I'm going to say it again. You can always become everything that God has already made you. Abram was 90 years old. He was past the expiration date for becoming a father. But God had called him a father of many nations. And so God made him into a father of many nations, even though Abram thought the expiration date had already passed. Now, I'm not here to tell you that if you're 90 years old, you're about to have a baby. That was a special, unique situation. Uh, in fact, I had some people come up to me after service, and they said, we are not going to be growing the church. You need to know that. Uh, so we, we done growing the church. We did our part. Uh, so I'm, I'm not trying to speak new birth over your womb. I'm trying to speak new birth over your heart. That there's stuff in you that hasn't grown yet. God is not done Man, we, we so often settle for the experience of what we've seen God do before, and we believe that's all God can do again, and the reality is God wants to do more. I love Pastor Brazen's vision for last year. He's believing for something better. Man, he stepped down in faith and trusted that God was going to do something better in his own life, that God was going to grow his faith. I believe God wants to grow some faith in this room this morning. I believe God wants to grow some faith. Those of you watching on our live stream this morning, God wants to do something in us. So if God's already placed seeds in my heart, if he's already placed callings in my heart, if he's already placed dreams in my heart that the conditions just haven't been right yet, the rain hasn't yet shown up yet, how do I coordinate with that? How do I cooperate with that? See, I'm not one of these fatalists that think that God's just going to do whatever God wants to do and we've got no part to play. I believe that anytime God does something, God partners with the person. He partners with the man. He partners with the woman that he always gives us the part to play. And God is faithful to do the part that only he can do. And that's the supernatural. That's the miraculous. But God always calls us to play our part. So how do I play my part in these dreams that are in my heart that I may not even know are there? How can I cooperate with God for him to send rain on something that I'm not even aware of is a dream that he has for me? Well, the word in the Bible for heart, the Hebrew word, the Greek word, is actually the second most common word in the Bible. It's the thing that God talks about the second most, other than simply God. Uh, after his names, the word for heart appears over and over and over and over. Why? Because God's after your heart. Because he wants you to guard your heart. He wants to protect your heart. He wants you to watch the condition of your heart. 
So today I want to share with you two attitudes of the heart that will enable God's seeds to grow. Now, I'm not saying all of them are going to grow in 2022. I don't believe that. Unless Jesus comes back in 2022, and that's it. He's got to get it all done before he comes back. Chances are, for most of us, he's not going to do everything he wants to do in our life in 2022. I just think he wants to do something. He wants to do more. He wants to take us to a new level. So how do we get out of his way and allow him to send this reign of his Holy Spirit on the seeds that are already in our heart? Two conditions of the heart, two attitudes of the heart that will partner with him. The first one is this. You need a humble heart. If we're going to see God do what he wants to do to breathe on, to rain on the seeds in our heart, we have to have a humble heart. See, James chapter 4 says very famously that God opposes the proud. Another translation says he resists the proud. I don't know about you, but I, I don't need God resisting me. I don't want God holding me back. I don't want God preventing me from stepping forward this year. It says he opposes the proud, but what does he do? He shows favor to the humble. If I told you, hey, here's one secret, here's one, one key to walk in the favor of God in this new year, most of us would say, okay, what's that key? Well, he lays it out for us very simply. If you want to walk in God's favor, walk in humility. Because he opposes and resists the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. Problem with humility is a lot of times God has to help us get it, right? A lot of us, we, times we, we don't get there ourselves. In fact, if we look in the Bible, time and time again, when God makes a list of things that he's against, things that he hates, he puts pride at the very top of that list. Man, God hates pride. And so what does he do? He's got to help us get rid of it every chance he gets. So how does God humble us? Well, he humbles us through his word. One of the reasons why it's so important for us to, to be in his word on a consistent basis is because God's going to speak to us, because God's going to reveal things to us. In fact, my, my favorite illustration of the Bible is that it's like a mirror, that we look into the Bible, we look into God's word, and it shows us what's wrong. It shows us that thing that's hanging out of our nose, right? It shows us that's hair that's out of place. And that's not a good feeling when you see that thing that doesn't belong there, but praise God, his word reveals it to us so we can get it fixed. He uses his word to humble us. He uses his spirit to humble us. Man, he's, he's going to speak to us. He's going to say, that, that's not part of me. You need to go repent to that person. You need to go apologize to that person. And a lot of times, he's going to call us to apologize to somebody, and we're like, they did something worse to me than I even did to them. He's saying, well, I'm not talking to them right now, am I? I'm talking to you. I need you to go humble yourself. So he humbles us through his word. He humbles us through his spirit. And then the one that I hate the most, he humbles us through other people. You ever been humbled through another person? Hurts, doesn't it? Uh, man, man, I hate when that happens. I've had this experience a number of times. I remember as I was thinking back this week, man, how, how has God humbled me? Um, remember early on in my days as youth pastor, I started here as youth pastor in 2005. Um, and early in my days as youth pastor, we were, we were blessed to build a, a great worship ministry. Man, we, we had young people who were passionate to worship God and leading others in worship. And we had a, a young worship leader named Cody Scott who lives in Oregon now and still leads worship at his church up there. A, a young man who, oh, I'm so grateful that God had brought into my life. And Cody came to me one time and he was like, hey, PT, I, I want to do this song. And he, he gave me this song uh, and I listened to it and I hated it. Uh, is that okay for a pastor to say he hated a worship song? Is that sacrilegious? I don't know. Uh, but it's the, it's the truth. I heard the song, and I was like, and then I tried to, like, spiritualize it, right? I'm like, man, Cody, I'm so glad that God has used this song in your life. Um, but, but I don't think this is the right song for our young people. Like, I don't, I don't think we need to do this song. And that was it, right? I shot him down. 
except he kept bringing it up. Uh, and, and he brought the song back up, and, and finally, God convicted me. He's like, okay, just because you don't like the song doesn't mean I can't use this song. It's like, okay, the youth ministry doesn't, be about, doesn't need to be the songs that PT likes, right? Like, this, that's not what this is about. So, so I humbled myself, and I was like, I'll let you do it once, and we'll see how it goes. Because I really didn't think that, that it was going to work. I didn't think people were going to enter into this song. And so I told him, the song was called Fire Fall Down by Hillsong. Some of you know it. Uh, and, and so I told him we can do Fire Fall Down for this certain event. And so we do it for this certain event, and, and what happens? Man, the whole youth ministry sells out in worship to God. I mean, hands raised, kids on their knees. Before I know it, I'm entering into worship with this song that I hate, and I'm, like, mad that I'm worshiping. Um, and God showed me. You're not the almighty youth pastor who knows everything I want to do. I can speak through this 17-year-old kid just as well as I can speak through you. You need to be open for me to speak to others. He humbled me through that. There was another situation in fact, it happened a little bit before that, but I didn't really learn from it until much after that. Around 2006, the youth ministry really started to grow, and by the beginning of 2007, we had outgrown our facility, our, our space for, for having services. And so we decided we were going to break off between youth, uh, junior high and high school. We're going to have two services, and one group would be in the service while the other group was in the, the game room, and we had a basketball court at that point in time as well. We were still in South Haven. Uh, and then we'd switch them, right? And so we had to get our services short. I had one hour max for each of these services, and so we started trying to evaluate how do we cut down our time to, to maximize, do what's most important. And so I made the decision, we're going to stop doing the offering, uh, right? Like we, we were bringing in about $4.13 uh, every week in the youth offering. It, it wasn't changing any of our budgets. It didn't make a huge difference. And it's like, okay, we can sacrifice that. They can hear about giving on Sunday mornings. I'll, I'll work it into my message every once in a while. And that's it. And I had a youth leader called me out in a meeting. She said, you can't stop doing the offering talk. And I said, no, really, I can. I'm the youth pastor. Uh, I, I can 100% do that. And she said, you don't understand. She said, I grew up in a home when my dad taught me that every church just wanted my money, that it was all a scam. Like, I was taught when I went to church, do not give a cent, because this is all a ripoff. This is all a scam, that every preacher is just out to cheat you out of something. She said, when we started going here, that was my mindset. We didn't give anything. And she said, Pastor, started talking about giving, and, and my husband came to me and said, hey, we need to start tithing. And I said, no. And he came to me again and said, we need to tithe. And I said, no. And we had this ongoing battle for months. And she said, finally, as he told me we need to start tithing, I said, okay, we'll do it for one month. And when it doesn't work, I don't ever want to hear about it again. And she said, so we gave. And God blessed us so much in a month. I couldn't deny that this thing was from God. She said, you can't take that away from these kids. They need to know the truth. They need to hear it. They need to be taught. So I humbled myself. And we reorganized our hour with these students, and we kept teaching them about giving. Fast forward, 2012. April 1st, 2012, became the pastor here at City Church. As I became the pastor at the church, there, we had gone through just a, a ton of transition and seen some, some very difficult times. And really, we kind of got down to where pretty much the people who were left either were in the youth ministry, had grown up in the youth ministry, had a student in the youth ministry, or had served in the youth ministry. Like everybody that was in the church was somehow connected to the 662. Uh, and those weren't the wealthiest people in the church. Uh, and, and we were broke. 
Uh, we were so broke that I stopped paying payroll taxes, uh, hoping and believing that God would do some sort of a miracle. And he didn't, at least not as quickly as I wanted him to. And so we got to the end of 2012. I'd been pastor for about eight months. And we were $5,000 in debt to the IRS, and I didn't know where the money was going to come from. And I, I think I'm going to jail, right? Like, I'm going to prison for tax evasion. I'm going to be that pastor that you hear in the news. Um, like, I'm, I'm creating a black eye for the kingdom. Uh, and I'm just praying, God, what can we do? Because we did not have the money. Like, we had no, no assets, no resources, no, no, like, big givers that I could turn to and be like, hey, any way you could sacrifice a little extra this month? Like, we were nowhere to turn. So I'll never forget it, the last Sunday of 2012, um, preached my message, I don't remember what I talked about, I was getting ready to go home, and a young couple came up to me who had grown up in the youth ministry, in fact, they'd met in the youth ministry, gotten married uh, maybe, maybe a year, a couple years before, they'd been married two or three years by this point, point. and they came to me and they said, hey, we didn't want to put this in the offering, but, but we wanted you to know it was from us. And basically what had happened is one of their siblings had been in a car accident a couple years before and died. And the family had finally gotten a settlement for the, for the accident. And they said, hey, we want to tithe on the settlement. And wouldn't you know it, they gave me a check for $5,000. It was exactly what we owed the IRS. And as soon as they put that check in my hands, God took me back to 2007. So remember when you wanted to stop teaching the kids about giving? And that youth leader spoke up and said, you need to teach them. This is the fruit of your humility. Because you were faithful, because you were willing to listen, this bill is now paid. And we never felt behind on payroll taxes again, and I'm not going to jail in Jesus' name. <laughs> right? I don't know what God wants to do in you this year. I don't know what plan God has for you, what dream he has for you, but I know this. You won't get there if you don't walk in humility. God's going to speak to you from some people that you don't expect. It's not always going to be from the pastor. It's not always going to be from the spiritual leader. It's not always going to be from the person you look up to. Sometimes it's going to be somebody beneath you, somebody who's under you, somebody who hasn't known Jesus as long as you have Somebody who maybe hasn't been faithful in a certain area as you have. God's going to speak. Are you willing to listen? If you want to access the seeds that he's placed in your heart, you're going to have to walk with humility. A humble heart is so massively key. The second key for us accessing those seeds and allowing God to, to reign on them is we have to maintain an open heart. An open heart. It's the second attitude of the heart that we are going to have to have. What do I mean by an open heart? I mean God's going to ask you to do stuff that's uncomfortable. God's going to ask you to do stuff that doesn't feel right. In fact, in order for God to do something new in you, by definition, it has to be something that's outside of your comfort zone. Because if it's in your comfort zone, it's not new. That one of my favorite pastors in the world, Pastor Craig Rochelle from Life Church, Oklahoma City, I heard him say this years ago, and I've grabbed this quote and, and made it part of my, my life. He said this, he said, the greatest difference between where you are today and where God wants you to be is the amount of pain you are unwilling to endure. Let me say that again. The greatest difference between where you are and where God wants you is the amount of pain you are unwilling to endure. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Troy? Well, it's the beginning of the year, right? Let's talk New Year's resolutions. What are, what are your goals for the year? What are the stuff you're trying to do? Well, if it's in your body, man, it's going to 
requires some pain to get in shape, right? It's going to take some pain to get this body under control. Man, whether it's diet, whether that's exercise, it's uncomfortable. Maybe your goal is to quit smoking. It's going to require some discomfort to break that habit. Maybe, by the way, I didn't give this heads up yet, so let me say this. You're going to do the Daniel fast. If you're going to do the Daniel fast with us, I'm telling you right now, listen to me and hear me, by Wednesday or Thursday, you need to cut off caffeine Uh, because you need to get the caffeine headaches out of the way before the fast starts. I've seen more people give up on the Daniel fast because of caffeine headaches than anything else. Uh, So get the the caffeine headaches out of the way while you can still eat stuff that you like, uh, where you can still turn to that comfort food and like drown your sorrow. Uh, I'm telling you, just just hear me on this. Wednesday or Thursday is your last day with caffeine if you're going to do the fast. Just trust me. You will be grateful that you did. Maybe, maybe you got to break a habit. Maybe you got to stop looking at porn. Maybe you got to have a difficult conversation with a family member. Maybe you got to confront somebody. Maybe you got to apologize. The greatest difference from where you are and where God wants you to be is the amount of pain that you're unwilling to endure. And this message was not designed to manipulate you into doing the Daniel fast and the reading plan. But let's be honest, for some of us, we already heard about a 21-day fast and we said, nope. (laughs) We already heard about reading eight chapters a day in the Bible and we're like, that's good for you. That's not me. I want to challenge you this morning to have an open heart. I'm not saying you have to do it because pastor said to do it. But I'm saying at least ask God, is this thing for me? God, would you lead me in this? God, would you, would you desire for me to take this step? Because I believe he's going to tell you yes. And I believe if you're afraid to ask, it's because you know I'm right. And he's going to tell you yes. And the easiest way to miss out on God's blessing for your life is to just have a closed heart and say, nope, that's not for me. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't care enough. I'm not spiritual enough. That's for somebody else. It's not for me. And if you would simply open your heart and allow God to lead you into something uncomfortable, something that doesn't feel natural, something that doesn't seem like something you would normally do, it's in those moments where he does the greatest new stuff in us. And here's why I know that. Because I was you. January of 2012, my amazing bride says, I think we need to do a 21-day Daniel fast. And I said, nope. Tried that before, failed spectacularly, ended crying in shame in a Taco Bell drive-thru. <laughs> I don't need that kind of condemnation in my life. Not doing that again. She said, I really think I need to do this. She said, I think you can do it too. Why don't you try? And I said, okay, I'll try. And my faith, I had, you know, the Bible talks about having faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed. I had some mustard seed faith. I had faith for about seven days, and that was like optimistic. I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. And by God's grace, he gave me the strength and the discipline, and I made it 21 days. And I can't even tell you what God did through that fast. Now, when I say what he did through this fast, let me give this caveat. It wasn't like every day of the fast, I had harps playing and angels singing. Most days of the fast, it was like, oh. How many more days of this do we have? Like, I'm just being honest, okay? I don't want to create some unrealistic expectations where it's like, I'm in this spiritual bubble of God's protection. No, it, it, it hurts, right? Like, you, your body, your flesh, at least my flesh, has become accustomed to some things, and it's not happy when it gets those things taken away from it. Most of the stuff that God showed me through that fast, he didn't actually show me until the fast was over. 
But that fast brought me to a place where, man, he showed me so many things. After that fast, like what, Pastor Troy? All right. So not long after the fast ended, Pastor Ricky, who was the pastor of the church at the time, came up to me and said, I'm stepping down. Do you guys want to be pastors here? At this point in time, we had actually already resigned as youth pastors. We were moving to Dallas, Texas. We had already looked at apartments. We were like, the process had begun. We were moving to Dallas. We were going to serve at a church there for a year or two, and then we were moving to the West Coast to plant a church. This was the plan. We were praying over this. We already had a name for our church in Seattle. I already registered it as my bank username, all right? Like, we had this thing figured out. We were locked in. This was the plan God had for our life. City Church was nowhere in that plan. He said, do you want to take over the church? I said, nope, thanks for the offer. I'm honored you would ask me. We're not interested. Comes back to me a few days later. He says, I really want you to consider taking it. He said, I met with the board, and the board made the decision they're going to close down the church. I said, would you take it for six months as an interim just to keep the church alive long enough for the board to find a new pastor? And at that moment, I had just finished the fast a couple days before, God said, this is for you. I'm talking about I heard from him loud and clear. I didn't need to pray about it. I didn't need to thank God. Like he said, this is for you. I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm in, but you got to tell Melody too, because <laughs> we're a team. I'm not going to make her stay here and resent me. I'm not going to make her stay here and resent the church. We've already made these plans. Like, I'm, I'm the spontaneous. She's the five-year plan, right? Like, this, this is going to radically change our life. Um, so you got to tell her too. So I sat down with Mel. She got home from work, told her what I thought God was, was telling me. And I, I'm telling, I thought it was going to be like six weeks for us to pray this through to get to a decision in less than like 10 minutes. She was like, call Ricky and tell him we'll do it. And I was like, what? Like, you, are you kidding? Like, I had no expectation that God was going to move in her heart as quickly as he did mine, but she had also been fasting. And so God showed up, and he showed this to us, and he, and he called us. And then this was Monday. By Wednesday, both in our own time with God, he showed us, if I'm calling you to this, I'm not calling you to it for interim. This is what I've been preparing you for. This is the seed that I placed in your heart that you didn't know was there. And this is the call I have on your life. This is the purpose I have for your life. And so we ended up accepting the pastorate here. Without an interim tag, we were able to take over the church as the lead pastors. Why do I say all that? Because if you want God's dream for you, you're going to have to have an open heart. My heart was closed to doing the Daniel fast, but I opened it. I took the step. My heart was closed to taking over City Church. But God pried it open. And I don't think he would have pried it open had it not been for that fast. I'm not saying God's calling you to pastor a church. I'm not saying that if you, man, you you do the Daniel fast with us, you do New 330, man, we're all going to be pastors. I don't think that's the case. But I do think he's got a call on your life. I do think he's got a dream in your heart that he hasn't birthed yet. He's got gifts in you that you don't even know are there yet. He's got stuff he wants to do through you that you have seen no evidence of up to this point because he's just been waiting for the right conditions. And I believe he's going to send some rain. I believe he's going to cause those seeds to grow. He's going to bring some color in a barren land, in Death Valley. Go ahead and put that picture of Death Valley back up for us, Pastor Braden. Let's look at this. This barren land, put the next one up, bursting with color. I believe for some of us, you've been in a spiritual wasteland, maybe through COVID, maybe for a whole lot longer than that. You're just coasting till the end. You're just ready to make it into heaven. 
And God's going to send some rain and show you he's got something better than just surviving until you see Jesus. He's got a purpose for you. He's got lives he wants you to change. He's got eternity he wants you to impact. He's got a fulfilling ministry for you at your workplace, in your family, at your school, in your neighborhood. Perhaps something you've never even conceived of, you've never even imagined. I never in a million years thought God was going to call me to Mississippi. Today I proudly call Mississippi home. I'm so grateful he brought me here. I didn't know that seed was in my heart. God did. It's going to cause that seed to grow at the right time. So what do you need to do? Make sure the condition of your heart's right. Make sure you've got a humble heart that people can speak into your heart, that, that you don't think you're so prideful and, and have it all figured out, that you've mastered it, and you know exactly everything God has for you because he's going to speak something to you, maybe through somebody else, maybe through his word, maybe through his spirit. Have a humble heart. Have an open heart. Try new things. Step out of your comfort zone. Allow God to do something new. I'll close with one final illustration for you. We've been talking about seeds and plants, so let's stick with that. Did you know if you plant an oak tree in just in a pot, it'll grow in the pot? It'll grow. Oak tree doesn't have to live outside and doesn't have to be uh, in, the, in the perfect conditions, in the perfect soil. It'll grow in the pot, but you know what won't happen? It won't grow to its full potential. It'll only grow to a certain level in the pot. And then it won't have enough root system to sustain it, so it won't be able to grow anymore. I think for some of us, we've put God's dreams in a pot. This is how much we'll give him. This is how much we'll allow him. Man, I'm going to give you, God, I'll see you Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings you can have. This is for you. Do whatever you want on Sunday mornings. Maybe, maybe our pot's a little bigger. Sunday mornings, and, and sometimes I'll go to a small group. Man, sometimes I'll be part of a city group. And God, do whatever you can in this box. In this pot. And God grows you in that pot. He flourishes in that pot. But I believe this is the year he's calling you to take that seed out of the pot and give it some, some outdoor space. Give it some expanse where you just allow his dream to grow to the maximum. Where we don't limit it to Sundays and, and, and a small group. We don't limit it to, man, when we gather. But I'm going to be in your word every day. I'm going to spend time with your Holy Spirit every day. I'm going to worship you on a daily basis. I'm going to allow you to do whatever it is you have for me. So my prayer for you, my heart for you, as we kick off 2022, is that you'll take those seeds out of the pot. Man, that you'll plant them in soil that allows God to flourish and to grow that dream, that calling, that purpose he's placed within you. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer?